let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9, we're going to be looking at the first 19 verses of Daniel 9. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your grace and your mercy and your faithfulness. Thank you for opening up the door uh, in Ellicott. And as they right now have their first service, we just pray that you would bless them, that you would pour out your spirit upon them, that you, Jesus, would be glorified, that your name would be lifted up and be with Pastor Rich and Diane. And as they lead there, Lord, that you would encourage them and bless them and that whole team that's there and that living water would be poured out into people's lives in the Eastern Plains. God, and as we study your word here, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to lead us and guide us in all truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Reclaimed and repurposed. It's quite a movement, isn't it, that we find people are wanting to take materials that have been used and are maybe about ready to be thrown away and reclaim them and repurpose them. Whether it's a pallet, you know, you see a pallet and somebody says, I could make that into some great patio furniture. I could make that into a great desk or a great table. Barnwood, you're going to pay a lot of money for barnwood right now. Just go to Craigslist and type in barnwood. And you have these barns that are falling apart and people are going out and, and getting the wood and reclaiming it and repurposing it. To old buildings in urban cities to, to get a warehouse and be able to fix it up and to see that to be reclaimed and repurposed. I gotta tell you, God has been in the business of reclaiming and repurposing long before it was popular. He's called it redemption, amen? God's heart is one of restoration. And where we find Daniel is they're getting close to the 70-year mark in captivity. God had promised through the prophet Jeremiah that they would come back to the promised land, that the temple would be rebuilt. And we see in Daniel's heart this plea for God to restore the temple, to God to repurpose and to reclaim. I think it's a great picture in our lives as believers because sometimes just like the children of Israel, we fall short, we fall away, we full-on rebel, and because of that, our temple is not what it should be. And God has a heart to bring consequences for the purpose of restoration. And no one's life is beyond being reclaimed and repurposed by God, for God to, to redeem. And for us to be able to press into God's presence in prayer for our own lives that God will restore, but also the lives of others. There's probably a few believers that come to your heart and mind this morning that for whatever reason, there's not quite the love for Christ. There's not quite the love for the body of Christ that used, used to be there. There's maybe some consequences that are coming in, into their, their life and you're saying, I want to pray for them. I'm going to pray that God does that work of restoration in their life. You know, this 19 verses is a great example of prayer and we're going to learn some tips, if you would, about prayer. But more than anything is I, I hope that we come to understand that prayer is a conversation with God. There was an elderly man who was passing away in a, in a nursing home, and the pastor goes to, to visit him by, by request of the family, and he comes into this, 
this man's room and he, he's sitting in the chair, an elderly man, and then there's, there's a chair next to him and he figures, well, he must have known that I was coming. He's prepared a chair and he says, did you know I was going to come? He says, no, I had no idea that, that you were going to come. And the pastor asks, well, well, who's this chair for? And he said, well, I've always struggled with prayer throughout my Christian life and heard sermons about prayer, never really been able to press in, into prayer. I don't know if you can, can relate with that, but I, sh- but I sure can. So then a friend told me to just simply set a chair for Jesus and to imagine that he's there sitting in the chair and have a conversation with him. And that's the truth, isn't it? Jesus promises to always be with us. He's here with us right now. And you can really sit down and talk with the Lord and listen to him as well. So I hope we grow in that conversation with God. So let's begin in verse one. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azarias of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Remember the first six chapters of Daniel have to do with the events in his life. They're in a chronological order. But then from chapter 7 to chapter 12, it focuses on the visions, the dreams that were given to Daniel. So we find that we're in 539 BC, and Darius is ruling this region, this realm of the the Chaldeans. So the Babylonians are no longer in power. Chapter seven and eight were during the time of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was the last king of of Babylon. And now Darius, who overthrew Belshazzar, is, is reigning. We go to verse two. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolation of Jerusalem. So here's Daniel, and it's the first year of the reign of of Darius, and he comes to understand that they're getting close to this prophecy that Jeremiah the prophet gave, that they would be in desolation for 70 years. This is Jeremiah 25. You might want to write it down. I'll read it to you. This is Jeremiah 25, verse 11. And this whole land shall be desolation and astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass, when the 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and all that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. I will make it a perpetual desolation. So God said 70 years. And then Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14. And we've referred to Jeremiah 29, 11 a few times in our study. But let me read that section to you as well. Jeremiah 29, verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. What does this tell us about Daniel? Daniel's a man of the word. He hadn't lost sight of the promises of God, and he's applying it to his particular situation. So write this down. Apply God's promises to your situation. Apply God's promises to your situation. 
how many Israelites had lost sight of the promise of God given in Jeremiah 25 and 29. That this time of captivity was not permanent. It would be 70 years. Then God would bring them back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. For us as believers, how many times do we lose sight of the promises of God? Either we're not aware of them or we're not really believing that they're applicable to us. You know, for example, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Come on, that's good stuff, right? God, you are working all things together for good, and I'm, I'm taking this promise that you've given, and I'm applying it to my heart, and I'm applying it to my life. Things like Philippians chapter 4, where it tells us the peace of God surpasses our understanding to guard our hearts and minds, no matter what our situation is. It says, I'm going to hold on to that promise, and I'm going to apply it to my situation. Church, you maybe know this, is nobody else can do this for you. No one else can do this for me. My wife Amber can't cause me to know the promises of God and apply them. You know, a mentor, the radio, Christian radio, even a a church family. At some point, we have to choose to say, I'm going to get in this book. I'm going to know it for myself. I'm going to underline the promises of God. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to apply it to my situation. I'm going to begin to talk it over uh, with, with the Lord. So we've got an amazing God with an amazing set of promises. And one of the things that I've enjoyed the most about studying the book of Daniel is to see his character. We see his character of prayer, but we also see his character of his life in the word. He knew the promises of God. He's applying them to his situation. In verse 3, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I believe that Daniel is reading Jeremiah where 70 years and God's saying, I'm going to bring restoration. God calls the children of Israel to pray right in that passage that we read to seek my face. And then I'm going to bring you out of captivity. Daniel reads that and he says, now I'm going to do it. And I'm going to set myself to prayer. And the first thing we see about his prayer is he says, I set my face towards the Lord God. There's some determination there. You know, prayer, I always feel like my prayer life could be better. I feel like there's so much room to grow in the area of prayer. I find it easier to to study the word than to spend a, a half an hour in prayer. And it takes some determination, doesn't it? Daniel already has a healthy prayer life. He's, we know that he prays three times a day. He sets aside time for prayer. But here he decides that for this season, he's going to press in a little bit more. And there's those times. Maybe there's a decision to be made. Maybe there's conflict inside of the family. Maybe there's an extra struggle with sin or a crossroads. And we say, I need to to set my face to seek God. For the desire that God would restore. For the desire that that God would move. And he gets determined. He, He gets after it. And then he says that he makes his request before God with prayer and supplication. Request is active. He's presenting his need before God. I think of blind Bartimaeus in the gospel of Mark, blind Bart. Jesus is walking on the road, coming out of Jericho, going towards Jerusalem. There's a multitude around Jesus, and blind Bartimaeus begins to cry out, son of David, have mercy upon me. 
What is he saying to Jesus? I'm not going to let you pass without you realizing my need and begging for, for mercy. Let your requests be made known to God. Get desperate before the Lord. And then there's sat- sackcloth, fasting, and ashes. And this speaks of the humility that we find in Daniel. He, he's putting on sackcloth, mourning clothes, and, and ashes. And he's going to grieve over the state, the spiritual state of the people of God, and he fasts. Well, what is fasting? It's giving up food for the purpose of prayer. One thing that our body is really good about, especially mine, is reminding me that I need to eat, right? And so as you get physically hungry, that's a reminder for this day or for this half a day or whatever the Lord puts on your heart, I'm going to not eat to devote myself to prayer. Jesus told us that certain type of spiritual warfare can only be won through prayer and fasting. The disciples couldn't cast out a particular demon and they're wondering why. Jesus says this kind, this, this demon only comes out through prayer and fasting. Isaiah 58 tells us that the fast that the Lord has chosen breaks the bond of wickedness. Are you experiencing wickedness in your workplace, in your family, in our, our community? Man, maybe the Lord is stirring our hearts individually to pray for our city, you know? As there's wickedness that's taking place in, in our city. And there's humility in approaching God this way. What we find in Daniel is he's pleading his promises. He's pleading God's promises. He's taking God's promises and he's bringing them before the Lord in prayer. And I find this to be very insightful. Because as we begin to pray, have you ever wondered, well, what do I pray about? I've kind of got my few things, rub-a-dub-dub, Lord, thanks for the grub, and You know, now I'm kind of out of things to say. Is take the promises of God. I think Daniel was taking Jeremiah 29 and talk it over with the Lord. So let's do that together for just a moment. Let's go from the lecture to the lab. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalms 23. This is one of my favorites, just even more recently, to pray through for my family and for us as a church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary, and our community. You can pick any section of scripture and just begin to have a conversation with God about it. So it might go something like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus, thank you that you're my shepherd. Would you shepherd me? And I know in your care for me, I I shall not lack. Would you shepherd my family, my wife, my My kids, would you shepherd Rocky Mountain Calvary? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Jesus, would you make me lie down in green pastures? Would you bring us to green pastures? Would you bring us to a place of rest? As a family, we've been really busy, going a lot of places. And would you place us beside still waters? He restores my soul. Jesus, would you restore my soul? Father, would you restore my soul? Would you restore the souls of Rocky Mountain Calvary and Colorado Springs? He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Lord, I need to be led. Lord, help me to see your paths of righteousness for, for your name's sake. I want you to be glorified in my life. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Thank you for walking with me through this valley. 
Thank you that this valley is not going to have the last word. It's, it's the shadow of death. And I take comfort in your rod and your staff. I take comfort in, in your presence. Lord, my, my son, my daughter is going through a difficult time and may they see your presence with them. Lord, this, this friend is really hurting. They've just lost a loved one. They've gotten the diagnosis of cancer and would you shepherd them and show them your peace? You've prepared before me in the presence of my enemies. You've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Lord, you know that this person is difficult in my life, this coworker, this, this boss, this family member, and it's become a hostile relationship. And would you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Thank you that your mercy and goodness is going to follow me all my days. Your mercy and goodness is going to be faithful in my life. All the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you for fellowship with you. I thank you for my eternal home. I'm going to dwell in your house forever. Amen. Maybe three minutes. I don't know. Maybe five minutes. But I find that to be really helpful. You know, just, just take a section of scripture. It might be part of Ephesians 1 or the end of Ephesians 3 and plea God's promises for your loved ones and for yourself. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 9, verse 4. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. It's personal for Daniel. It's, it's my God. I have a relationship with him. And said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him, with those who keep his commands. He starts with the character and nature of God. Giving God adoration. Our Father which art in heaven, thank you that you're my Father. Thank you that you're gracious and merciful. Here he says, God, you're great and awesome. You keep your covenant. You're merciful with those who love you and keep his commandments. A lot of prayers in the Bible follow this acronym, ACTS. A, adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication. Begin with adoration. It's really important. Oftentimes in prayer, we rush right to the need, don't we? We rush right to the request. And pause, take a moment to give adoration to the Lord. In verse 5, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. The power of we, Daniel says, we have done these things against you. We don't see in Daniel's life this willful rebellion against God, but he includes himself as being part of the problem. He's part of the people of God, and the children of Israel have turned away from the Lord, and that's caused them to lose the promised land for these 70 years, for the temple to be desecrated and destroyed. Identifying with the need is a really key part of prayer. If we got word that a child was hit in the parking lot right now as we're studying the word, we would all be moved. We would all be concerned. And we would probably be praying. But parents, if you got word that it was your child that was hit in the parking lot right now, that becomes a lot more real, doesn't it? If I got word that it was one of my four kids that got hit in the parking lot, it would be a whole entirely different response because it's a we thing. There's an identification with the need that is very personal. 
And here Daniel, and we see it in Nehemiah as well, gets broken before God for the spiritual condition of the people of God. And as we think about those who don't know Christ as our Savior, that breaks us. But we've also got to be honest about our own spiritual condition and the spiritual condition of the body of Christ. And he's very specific. He says, we've sinned, we've committed iniquity, we've done wickedly, we've rebelled, we've departed from your precepts and your judgments. If there's going to be restoration, reclaiming and repurposing, for God to take the temple and make it what he desires it to be, for his glory to shine through, there has to be confession and repentance. God's not going to restore if there's not that ownership of sin, if there's not that turning away from sin. And a lot of times, quite honestly, we want the restoration without the repentance. We say, God, I want you to do the work of restoration in my life. I'm tired of the pain of broken relationships. I'm sick of these consequences that come from sin. And God's saying, but do you want to be right with me? So we think about the condition of the body of Christ as a whole, big C, yes, our church fellowship, but, but the church of the whole. And what have the people of God done when it comes to the word of God? In a lot of ways, not the world, not the unbeliever, but God's people, like the children of Israel, we've departed from the word of God, haven't we? We've departed from his precepts. It's not uncommon to go into churches in America today and find them teaching the exact opposite of what the Bible says. So, so here's what, what the Bible says about Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about salvation. What the Bible says about sin and then there's a complete different message that's being declared. It's not uncommon to go into churches today and see a completely different message when it comes to marriage. And saying God is blessing things in his word that he's clearly said that he's against. In our own lives personally, to take parts of God's word that we really like, that make us feel comfortable, but then ignore other parts of scripture that are challenging us to live differently. And we depart from the word of God. And instead of saying, well, that's out there, to say, that's us. We identify with that as the people of God and saying, Lord, would you forgive us? We've departed from you. We've departed from your word. And this is what we find in Nehemiah. This is what we find in Daniel. And God responds and he moves when there's that brokenness before the Lord. Let's go on and see as Daniel continues in, in this manner. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who have spoken your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all of the people of the land. They blew through the warnings of the prophets for generations. God was very slow in bringing these consequences upon Israel. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those near and those far off in all of the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they've committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face. To you, O kings, our princes, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord, our God, belong mercy and forgiveness though we have rebelled against him. Clearly in these two verses, Daniel is owning what belongs to us and receiving what belongs to God. 
He says, this is what belongs to us, shame of face. And a Middle Eastern cultural mindset is really important in this. It still exists in the Middle East today. It's a shame and honor culture. If somebody in your family does something wrong, the whole family feels a great sense of shame to the point where they'll disown that person in the family sometimes. It's really, it's really a powerful thing. But yet if somebody in the family has done something well, the whole family feels this sense of honor in a way for us in a Western mindset that's hard to understand. You know, if my, if my brother gets a promotion at his job, I'm happy for him, but I'm not necessarily feeling this deep sense of honor, right? Even inside of our own families, we have a pretty individualistic mindset, but they're in a shame and honor. And so here, Daniel's owning it, and he's saying, we're shame of face, it belongs of us. We're, we're not making excuses. We're confessing our sin before God. To confess sin is to agree with God. And that's important for us. It's important for us as the people of God collectively, but also individually. You've experienced it, I think, as God's child. We've experienced it. The breakthroughs come in our lives when we stop making excuses. And we say, you know what, this is me. I, I, I've sinned. God, would, would you forgive me? And we're broken before the Lord. And God begins to then work and build up and bring restoration and repentance. But as long as it's somebody else's fault, then we don't get to that place of, of experiencing the Lord's redemption and work in our lives. So we, we own what belongs to us, but we also receive what belongs to God. At the end of verse 8, it says, that to the Lord belong mercy and forgiveness, though we've rebelled against him. In our mindset, we would think maybe God's done with Israel. No way. Even though there's all these generations of idolatry, God, for his love, takes them to captivity for the purpose of, of bringing them back. And Daniel understood the depth of their sin, but he also understood the depth of God's forgiveness and God's mercy. He receives the fact that God can redeem, that God can rebuild the temple, that God can restore them. Do you believe that about your own life? Again, we're talking about the people of God. Do you believe that God could forgive you for the sin and the rebellion that we commit as believers? It should be a resounding yes because of the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's about what Christ has done. His blood that, that forgives. If we'll provide the brokenness, God will always provide the forgiveness and mercy. Amen? If we'll bring the repentance, God will bring the forgiveness and mercy. No one is beyond the restoration of God. No one's beyond God being able to repurpose and, and reclaim. Verse 10, we've not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, Yes, all of Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. Deuteronomy 28, even before they go into the promised land, God says, if you obey, here's the blessings you're gonna receive. If you disobey, here's the cursings that are gonna come. And so they're receiving the consequences that God had promised. In verse 12 and he has confirmed his word, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us a great disaster. 
for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. Do you see this as God's love for the children of Israel to bring this kind of correction and disaster? He loves his children enough to not allow them to continue in idolatry. Verse 13, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we may turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we've not obeyed his voice. We never repented, Daniel saying, so God kept the disaster in mind. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. Daniel in his prayer remembers God's faithfulness, remembers God's deliverance. He's saying, we're the people that you brought out of Egypt for your name's sake and for your glory. And if this is hitting home for you today and you're saying, man, I don't know where I got wrong. I don't know where I walked away from the Lord. But here I am starting to receive some of the consequences for my my choices and my decisions. Remember God's work of salvation in your life. Remember your Egypt. Remember what it was like before you received Christ as your Savior and God saved you. And even though you've walked away and been the prodigal, you have that story of redemption in your life and God's ready to bring it again. We look at verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach to all those who are around us. It's a prayer for mercy. Saying, God, would you please turn your anger and your wrath away from us? In verse 17, now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplication, and for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and your prayer, open your eyes and see our desolation, and the city which is called by your name, for we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. Oh, I love that. I love that. Saying, God, you see our desolation. You see the brokenness of the temple. You see us in captivity. You see us in bondage. And we're not approaching you by our righteous deeds. But would you work a work of redemption by your great mercy? It's not going to get us very far if we approach God saying, Lord, I've really been faithful at church, so would you move in my life? God, I've really been faithful in tithing and reading my Bible. It's coming up to the end of 2017, and I'm on track to finish the Bible in one calendar year. (sighs) You know, right? That's, That's not wise. That's extremely foolish. Lord, I've been working so hard in my marriage, trying to be what you've called me to be. Now, where's the blessing? Lord, we've been trying to raise our kids by, by the book, and we've really done our part, so, so where's the blessing? But to come before the Lord and say, God, you see our desolation, 
You see where we've fallen short. You've seen where we've messed up and we own that. But God, would you take this rubble? Would you take this brokenness in my life and brokenness in my family? And would you rebuild the temple by your great mercy? I personally feel like brokenness and humility is God's sweet spot. You know? When we approach him in true brokenness that's genuine, God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. He desires a a broken and contrite heart. Go before the Lord and ask for mercy. You know? Is there rubble in your marriage? Ask for mercy. Is there rubble in your relationship with your children? Ask for mercy. In your singleness, do you find find rubble and you find loneliness and never expected to to be in this place? Cry out for, for mercy. As a church family, Rocky Mountain Calvary, there could be things inside of this church that God wants us to own and say, Lord, forgive us. You see the rubble inside of this church family. And Lord, we ask that you would bless by your mercy. Any blessing that has come into Rocky Mountain Calvary, it's because of God's mercy, amen? It's not because of us, it's in spite of us. Any blessing that God's brought into our lives, it's by his mercy. It's not because of us, it's in spite of us. And and Daniel understands this and he approaches God based on his mercy. Verse 19, O Lord, hear, or O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Lastly, Daniel boldly asks God to act. He says, God, would you forgive? Would you hear? Would you listen and act? Because you're my God and we're your people and we belong to you. In essence, Daniel's saying, God, please show up because if you don't show up, we don't have any hope. And sometimes I think we get a little scared or a little squeamish about asking God to boldly move in our lives, to boldly work redemption and restoration. But understand, Daniel's asking for God's glory. He's saying for your name's sake, not for our comfort, not so that my life is easier, not so people think that I've got my act together, but for your glory. And we've got to get that right. We've got to say, God, I want you to move for your glory, not for, for my, my comfort. And we know as the context of the whole Bible, we submit our prayers to the will of God. We say, God, this is how I see the situation, and this is what I would desire to do, but you're God, I'm not. Forgive me for trying to be your counselor. I want your will in this situation. Hebrews 4 tells us that we get to boldly come to the throne room of grace, to receive grace in time of need. I think of it this way. When you're, when you're grown up in your parents' house, you do have a bit of limited access to the refrigerator and what's in the cupboards. Why is that? Because you didn't buy it. And a lot of times mom and dad have plans for what's in the cupboard to prepare, prepare a meal, Right? So I can remember a lot of times growing up, it's like, you know, I I might be approaching the refrigerator a little bit timidly, like, I hope I don't get caught drinking a half a gallon of milk, right? But as you grow as an adult and you work and you buy the food, 
you get to boldly approach the refrigerator, don't you? Right? Because you bought it, right? Sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be grabbing some chips out of the cupboard and, and the kids will kind of wrap me out to mom and say, you know, dad's, dad's eating chips. And Amber normally responds, says, hey, look, we paid the bills. We can eat chips whenever we want to, right? <laughs> Someday you'll pay the bills and you can boldly approach the pantry for chips. And see, God is saying, we get to boldly come to the refrigerator. We get to boldly come to the pantry because he's paid the price. He's saying, this is for you. This is the grace and the mercy that I want to give to you in your time of need. But he is asking us to come. To come in honesty, to come in humility, to come in confession and repentance. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need you to to do a work of redemption in my life. So as we close this morning, what's the condition of your temple? If you know Christ as your Savior, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To get collectively together, we're the dwelling place of God. What's the condition of your temple personally and, and our temple collectively? And is there some rubble? Is there some things that are broken down? Would what God want to repurpose and restore? And as we go to worship, to be broken before God and own it in confession, saying, Lord, would you forgive me? I don't know how I've gotten here, but I'm here and my, my heart is hard. Do you find yourself thinking about someone that you love and you go, man, their temple's just broken down? Cry out to the Lord in prayer and ask that the Lord would do that work of reclaiming and restoring. I personally have a great appreciation for old houses and buildings that get fixed back up. There's a character there that I find attractive. Your new homes are nice. You know, and now in the springs, new homes are getting thrown up in three weeks, four weeks. But there's something about an old home that gets fixed up. And it's probably not the most financially feasible thing to do, right? But there's something about it where it has even more glory than before. And there is an aspect to it that a new home doesn't have and doesn't provide. And what's really beautiful as you follow the storyline is one of the prophets says the glory of the second temple is even going to be greater than the glory of the first. And the temple that was destroyed was Solomon's temple and it was magnificent. The temple that was rebuilt wasn't near as fancy, was much more simple to where even Israel was mourning saying, man, This isn't anything like Solomon's temple, but here's the prophet saying, the glory of the second temple is going to be greater than the first. Why? Because Jesus walked in the second temple. This temple that's going to be rebuilt, that Daniel's praying for, Jesus walks into that temple. And it's Jesus that makes it more glorious than the first. And I believe that's God's message to us. That through God's redemption... His grace shining through the cracks in the sin, the reclaimed and repurposed is more glorious than even before.
God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God can take the rubble and he can make a beautiful work of redemption. So let's stand together and let's pray these things in. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that our lives are never beyond your restoration. You're the God of the resurrection. And Lord, we, we want to take a moment to sit in this passage and confess to you our sin. And confess to you our sin as your people. Lord, we have turned our backs on you. We've ignored your word. We've replaced your word with our own ideas. In a lot of ways, we live for ourselves. And God, would you forgive us? And would you bring restoration to the people of God? May you give us greater understanding of you and greater fellowship with you. And Lord, for our church family, if there's things that don't please you, would you forgive us and make us aware of those things? And our lives personally, our our temples personally, Lord, those things that don't honor you, we don't want to justify those any longer. We see the damage that it's bringing in our lives. Lord, we cry out to you for family members and friends that have walked away from you and where we desire that they would come back to you. Lord, as wonderful as it is to read about these things in your word, we also want to experience the power of restoration that you can bring.